first reading is from Zephaniah, the third chapter. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your heart hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in. At the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. The psalmody today is Psalm 85. Lord, you you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, The Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Despite being in prison, Paul is remarkably upbeat as he writes this letter. Here, he urges his friends in Philippi to trust God with all their worries and concerns, with the hope they will experience God's joy and peace. The second reading is from Philippians, the fourth chapter. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, 
and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the seventh chapter. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight, and he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, <coughs> Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who were who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking, no wine. And you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. The Gospel of our Lord. So in the decorations today, you guys take time to notice that what are some of the things that stand out when you're looking at the church today that we don't see like the rest of the year? What are some of the things that you noticed? Angels. Angels. Yep. What else is going on? What do you see? Um, you see some butterflies. What else is going on? What are some of the other things that you see in church that you normally don't ever see? You see what? Fish, all right, there's fish. There's, so they got all these decorations on the tree. What else is going on? How about the flowers? Are they here all year round? Not so much. Those are kind of our pre-Christmas stuff, right? What else? Yeah. 
You see some presence. Yeah, I got eyes for that. I'm looking for the presence too, right? All right. We don't have this. This is kind of special. Did you notice anything over here that's kind of unique? Flowers. Flowers. What else? What? Crowns? Yeah, we've got kind of a golden jeweled one here, and we got some thorns. What else did you notice? Yep. Anything else? What else are you noticing? All right, veterans, veteran ones, what else is up here that you that normally would never be here? It's out of place. Besides the tree, focus your eyes on this part now. The little manger thing? That right here in the middle? What else? I'm thinking about something even smaller. I'm getting closer to it and closer to it. What else do you see that's normally not ever there on a Sunday? How about something else that's kind of near the microphone? What else might be here? Have you ever, did you even notice that? I don't even know what this is. Oh, I got to hold on to this very carefully because if I break this, I'm in deep kimchi, right? This have a seat. Come on, I'll bring it to you. What do you think this would be? Where would you find something like this? It's a it's a kid. It's a baby Jesus, and 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 and, and you see these sometimes around Christmas trees, right? A nativity set. Thing is, is just like it was over there. A lot of times, you don't ever get to touch this. I know as a kid, I was forbidden, you know, in German verboten. I mean, you don't even come, don't even think about touching the tibia set because it was fragile. And I was a kid and I was there for sure. I was going to break it. I was going to chip it. I was going to hit something and the ear would fall off or eyeball. I mean, something was going to go wrong. And so as a child, I could never touch this. In fact, the fact I'm touching it right now, I'm feeling a little bit nervous. So I got to go set this down because if I was to do anything damaging to this, I'd have, you can't replace them. Sometimes these are like one of a kinds, and so you can't replace it. So I'm going to carefully put this over there. The nativity is where the baby Jesus will be. Right now we have things of things to come, king and, and, and crucifixion, but right now the nativity there. There was a school teacher in a Christian school who, uh, who, who wanted to do more for the kids than just have them learn about a Jesus that was far away, a Jesus they couldn't touch. So the teacher brought... A baby, a doll, right? Looked fairly real. When you put it this way, the eyes open. You put it this way, the eyes close. Um, fairly life. I would just second you want to see. See, right now the eyes are open. Oh, you got to do that too. Babies don't have strong heads. And you put the eyes back and see how the eyes close, right? So anyway, she brought it this and she told the class, we're going to treat this as if it is baby Jesus, all right? And for the next week, we're going to split the day up, our day together, from the time you get here till the time the bell recesses, into one-hour increments. And every day, we're going to take turns. One student at a time will be responsible and will take care and be able to hold baby Jesus just for one hour. And then we'll rotate to the next kid, to the next kid, to the next kid, until everybody in the class had the opportunity to do that. She had a pretty big class. So on day one, she passes baby Jesus carefully. And she says, and they, they, the kids took it fairly seriously that this was like a baby Jesus, and they, and they treated it as such, so they were careful how they passed it, right? Just right now, I put my head underneath the hand, and to student number one, here, carefully, you got baby Jesus for the first hour, and don't let the head fall. Okay, hold it right there. All right, so while they're sitting in class doing assignments, they're taking notes, and, and one of the kids is taking notes with baby Jesus. And... And they're going around the whole thing. Now, when, they, when that first hour passed, maybe it's time for recess. This, this child was asked, okay, your time with baby Jesus is done. And then they actually wanted to hold baby Jesus. So then the next one says, well, they like would raise their hand. It's your turn. So now it's going to be your turn. You get to hold baby Jesus. And now you're outside in recess. 
Everything you're doing, you're doing with baby Jesus, or you're going to set him down carefully so he can watch. So if you're playing basketball, if you're running around playing any tag games, whatever you're doing outside in your recess time, baby Jesus is with you. And, you, and you're, he's having fun when you're having fun. He's doing studies when you're doing studies. When your time of recess is done, your hour was up, we'll pass it to another child. And that person would be able to hold baby Jesus for the next hour. So now you get to hold baby Jesus. Be careful. And so on and on it went, day in, day in, out. If they were studying, they got to hold baby Jesus. If they were playing outside, they were, if they had to go to the bathroom, they put baby Jesus on the counter, they took care of business, washed their hands, they got baby Jesus, and they left. Well, when some of the parents are watching what's going on, they weren't necessarily happy. They thought it was disrespectful that they would do this. They thought it was disrespectful to have the class take baby Jesus to the playgrounds, to take baby Jesus to their, their, their tests, their studies, their, their, everywhere they went. They didn't, you weren't, that's not what Jesus does. And so the teacher, when enough of the parents were in the room, kind of quarreling with her, and some of the students were in the room, she asked a question. She said, what kind of Jesus do you want your children to know? The kind of Jesus that is way far away, out of touch, that, that they can't be associated with? Some ceramic thing? A decoration you pull out once a year? Or the kind of Jesus that they get to hold and that they get to take with them when they're in class, when they're playing, some of the kids are beginning to talk to baby Jesus, like saying, confiding into them secrets, like how their hearts hurt when someone's mean, and they're remembering how this baby will grow up and he'll have a lot of ugly words. Maybe about how some hard things are going on in their families between moms and dads. Teachers starting to notice that they start to talk to baby Jesus. Some of the good things are happening, the fun things they're telling. She goes, what kind of Jesus do you want your children to know? The one that they can talk to? even their deepest secrets. She says, that's what we're about here in this Christian school. We're about making sure that they know that Jesus is a God and a person that they can take everywhere they go, every place in their life, the work, the fun, the play, and they can have all their secrets in. At that point, the parents didn't have much else to say, and they went on their way. So at this point, go ahead and go back to your chairs. All right, you've got baby Jesus. Take care of him until we're done with church, okay? So what kind of Jesus do you want your children to know? What kind of Jesus do you want your grandchildren to know? What kind of Jesus do you want your co-workers and the rest of our patriots in the United States to know? How about people around the world? What kind of Jesus did Jesus come to be known by? That question is kind of in the heart of what's going on with the gospel lesson. Are you the one? What kind of Messiah is Jesus to be? What kind of Messiah are they expecting? Are you the one was part of the question on this. Baby Jesus, is this the one? It's taking place. Um, John's in prison. Um, the story's there. Jesus is out and about doing ministry, but John's in prison. There's, there's a good chance he was a prison called Micaeus. Um, it was about maybe 20, 20 minutes walk away from the Dead Sea on the eastern side of the sea. On the side that if there was any invaders coming from Arabia, from, um, say, Iraq, 
coming across the deserts that way. There was a set of, of posts along through there on high ground that they could have seen the dust and the, and, and the, the armies coming. So there was a fortress built on this high ground. And this big hill had hard approaches. It was going to be easily defended. So they built a fortress. And on top of that, it was a palace. Palaces and fortresses were a lot of times overmixed. And while they had that building, they also had the underlining structures for this, which made great prisons. And so John was in that prison, in that fortress, in that location near the Dead Sea. Now, John, why would he ask that question? He's John the Baptist. I mean, he's he's the one that's no no one no one has ever been born in on the face of planet is greater than John the Baptist, right? That's what Jesus says. That John the Baptist is now sending people. Are you the one, or we to wait for another one? What is going on? This is John. If John's having these questions, we got no chance. Kind of a deal. Well, think about what's going on in his life. Yes, John was a miracle baby. I mean, John met Jesus when he was in his mother's womb. The sacredness and the blessedness and the safety of a mother's womb. His mother was a veteran woman, well past the time of having children. She had never had children. And her and her husband were blessed. God, the angel said, you're going to conceive and you're going to bear a son and you're going to name him John. So we got that whole story. So while Elizabeth is over there being mom for the first time and enduring all that, you know, is a joyful, joyful thing until you got this thing making you sick in the morning and poking you at night and making your bladder feel too small and all the other stuff that goes along with I've heard about. Don't really know. Um, while she's doing that, here comes Mary, this young one. And while Mary's coming in with Jesus now, baby, baby, the real small baby in her womb comes to Elizabeth when Elizabeth is six months pregnant and John leaps in his mother's womb. He is fully aware that the son of God, the mother of the son of God, Mary, is now in the place. And in his excitement, he leaps for womb. That's what the Bible says. Mary said, when you came in, John leapt in my womb at the presence of the Savior. So John knew when he was near his Savior, even while he's in his mother's womb. And then later on, when he had the chance at the baptism site, here comes Jesus and John tells everybody, look, here's the one. Behold, the, the Lamb of God is going to take away the sin of the world. And in this excitable day, and on that day, there's a baptism. Jesus' baptism. The heavens are torn. And here we have for the first time the epiphany of God, the fullness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one spot, saying the glowing and light in life together. And John was there. He saw that. John was also one who told people the truth. He loved us enough that John would tell us the truth. Not everybody in the world has the courage to do that. A lot of politicians and people who want our favor want to tell us the things we want to hear so that we might still be their friends. But John loved us enough that he would tell us the truth. He even said that to Herod. He told Herod the truth. He says, Herod, you're living wrongly with your brother's wife. Herodias needs to be with your brother, not with you. What you're doing is an adulterous, wrong violation of God conduct. Well, Herod didn't like it. Neither did his wife. They arrested John. John was telling the truth. He got arrested. Now he's in this prison that we mentioned in the beginning, off on the east side of the Dead Sea, overlooking, going out towards the east and the potential invaders from that side. Well, what's being in prison like? Think about it. There's something about hearing... I, I've, we've taken kids in confirmation classes into jail systems and just to have the experience of that. And to, so we've gone in where they come in, where they're dropped off, first door closes, 
go in the next door, you're waiting, you, where you got the booking, where you have to change all your clothes, you do all that. It's in very public places. You know, they're discovering that. The first cell, the holding cells. We've gone through that whole experience so they understand what being incarcerated is like, so they can understand what being free is like, right? We've had the conversation. And this one, when that jail cell closes and he's in a dark place, there's something that is very real about that. You can't get out. Your freedom is gone. Your freedom is gone. You won't eat unless someone brings you food. And you'll only eat what they provide. You will not drink unless they bring you something. You probably don't have a can to pee in. I mean, there's a whole lot about this world that's just rough. And John's there. Worst thing for John, he can't feel the sunshine on his face. He lives in a very sunshine world. He's been in the wilderness. He can't experience the sunshine on his face. He can't feel a breeze Warm or hot. When in the nighttime, and like in this time of the year, it's very dark. You see stars a long time. He can't look down on his blanket at the stars and pray to God and thank to God and just see the stars glow because in the desert, they just glow because there's nothing between you and them. No clouds. The desert stars are amazing. He doesn't get that, but not just for a day or two days or three days. He's in prison up to a couple years. What does that do to a person? Special forces people in my family and the ones around me have said, everybody breaks. Everybody breaks. No man is strong enough that he can't be broken. The only difference is, is how long and when you break, what happens? We have a strong man of God in a jail. No sun, no moon, no breeze. He is separated from his family. He is separated from his friends. And worse than that, maybe it's not worse, but equally bad. He is separated from his reason and purpose to exist as a person. He was born. He was placed into the womb. John was placed into his mother's womb because his reason and purpose was to prepare the way for the Messiah. That's why he exists in this world. His joy and his delight is to be who God created him to be. If we're not experiencing joy in our life, it's probably because we're not being who God purposed us to be. That's a side note. Getting back to John. John's reason and purpose was to tell people the truth, to have them confess, to have them repent, have them trust that, Lord, when the Messiah comes, that there would be hope and a new day and forgiveness and a kingdom of heaven to come. And John was separated from the very work that gave him life. His reason and purpose to exist was robbed as he was in that jail cell for year after year. And on top of that, when you're in the jail cell, what kind of information are you getting? You're going to be getting pessimistic, mislies, lies of all kinds of things, half-truths, partial-truths, something to grind you down and beat you down to cause you to doubt who you are and what you're about, maybe even your God your, himself. Doubt. It's the first thing that caused sin in the, in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you'll read that the first thing the devil did to cause sin in the world is to ask the woman, did God really say that? Before there was an act of sin, there was a doubt. Did God really say that? Is that really true? Imagine all the things that could be thrown at John day in and day out to cause him to doubt. He's in this jail cell. Now, finally, some friends come back. Some of the the disciples come to him. When Jesus was there, he sent his disciples, you go follow him now. And many of them did. And they've been with Jesus for this time, and they've been seeing everything he, he does, how he interacts with people, how he listens, how he loves 
He does that so wonderfully. He has power to heal people and raise people from the dead. He's doing all this stuff. And now John's dis- or, or these disciples who are Jesus' disciples, once John's disciples, they come back and they, they, they risk finding John in prison. I mean, if you're friends with someone who's in prison and it's because of a political thing or religious thing or something that you're associated with, it's dangerous for you to go there because they might jail you too because you're one of those. Governments can turn easy on people. And once people who were free are now pounced on by the whole system, and it's dangerous to be associated with that system, it happens all the time in history. These guys risked a lot by going back to that place to ask permission to see John. And they find John and they tell him all that Jesus has done. They start telling him all the things that they had seen. And then in there, in their interaction with John, something's not quite enough. We don't know whether it was a John thing or a disciples thing or maybe a combination of the thing. But John says, go back to him and you ask him this question. Are you the one? Are we supposed to wait for another? Are you the one? Are we to wait for another? We don't know the motive again. Was it the disciples weakness or John's weakness or the combination? But they needed something more. They needed one more assurance. So John says, go back to the source. Go back to Jesus. That's what John's always done, pointing people to Jesus. So they go back to Jesus, and when they get there, Jesus doesn't give them words. Words can be so easily forgotten. What was last week's sermon about? I can't even tell you. I'm the one who shared it. I know we had some music. I know we have some children's programs, but words are gone Chinese say the weakest of ink ink lasts longer than the strongest of memory. You have to write something down. You have to be able to see it, right? So that's why Jesus didn't just say, yes, I'm the one, go tell John. No, Jesus gave them something they could see and they could feel and they can identify with. Jesus is going to, it says all of them. I mean, Jesus is just going around that day indiscriminately. If there was anybody who was sick or who was diseased or had twisted arms and legs, who was on the edge of dying, it didn't matter. On that day, John's disciples watched Jesus just bring healing and life and restoration to everybody there. Now that you've seen it, now you've seen how lives have been changed by it. You watch someone who's been on the edge of death being healed and how their family rejoices. It just doesn't get to your cognitive place. It invades your heart in your whole person. Right? So they've watched this. And now Jesus says, go give John the answer. Go tell John what you've seen and you've experienced. Not just words. More than words. The blind see. The deaf are hearing. The lame can walk. The diseased are being cured. The demon-possessed are being set free. The dead are being raised to life. You go tell John what you saw. And, and it wasn't just their words that they shared. When they saw, they saw John, they just say all these words, but they said, boy, and we saw it, and we felt it, and we were there, and we will never, ever be the same. Oh, John, he is the one. We're not waiting for another. This is the Messiah of God. Because he was bringing physical healing and he was bringing a spiritual healing that only God can bring. Back to the little doll story. That's not the little ceramic thing that you can't touch because you're afraid of breaking it. The kids can't touch. You only put out of the closet to decorate a few things once a year. No. 
That's a Jesus that's with you everywhere you go for the rest of your life. That's the Jesus that Jesus needed to be known by. That's who. That's why a father would send us his son in the first place, so that we would know that kind of Jesus. John believed. His disciples believed first, though. We have the order that we adopted as a church, and we, we, we remember this almost, well, all the time. Know Jesus, make him known. That's what happened. When they had doubt, they went towards Jesus, and they knew Jesus. They knew what he said. They knew what he did. They knew what he was about. They knew his Father in heaven. They knew everything that was divine and good, and they knew God personally. Each one of those disciples knew Jesus personally. And then from there, they could go to John and share what they knew with John. And John needed to know it. He's in prison. He needed to have someone other than himself tell him the good news. What kind of prisons are the people in the world around us in? What kind of bad decisions? What kind of foolish lifestyles? So busy with some things, we're not preparing for other things. Distracted with shiny stuff when the heart stuff is available. Trying to give kids toys when they want our time. What's the prisons in our world? Our doubts? Our fears? Never good enough? Never good enough. That's a big one. You're not good enough. You're not pretty enough, not strong enough, not smart enough. Nothing you do will ever be enough to satisfy some human who will never be satisfied in the first place. Not enough. What kind of prisons are people in? John's in prison. We're all in a prison. So what do you do with people in prison? You bring them good news. You bring them Jesus. But unless you have it, you can't give it. So John wisely sends his friends to Jesus. Maybe John knew Jesus all along, but his friends had doubts. Either way, they both celebrate Jesus when they come back. They knew him and they made Jesus known. That's what we do as a church. That's our reason and purpose to exist. If you're not finding a whole lot of joy and peace and love and goodness in your life, it's probably because you're not aligning yourself with God's reason and purpose you to be. John was suffering in prison because he, he couldn't live the way he was designed to be. So for us, who is it in our world that needs something? We started our prayer off with that. Who in our world needs to know Jesus? Who in our world can use some good news? Who in our world's in prison? Maybe it's us. Who's going to bring the good news? Where's church? That's all we're about. First, we know him. From there, we make him known. God help us be that church. Amen. Let us declare our faith. We'll use the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Let us pray for the people of God. In the midst of the commercials, the cooking, and the company, help us to remember the true meaning of this season, that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Our joy comes to you. Lord, in the joy of this Advent season, help us to be mindful of those for whom joy is hard to find, and lead us to assist them, especially for those who don't have enough clothes, for those who don't have enough food, for those who don't have enough shelter, for those who don't have enough protection and justice. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, we pray this day for those longing for spiritual renewal. We ask that you would comfort and guide those in church today that think they need you the most. For those among us who think they need you the least, we ask that you give them humility and gratitude. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, help us to live under your perfect care. Prevent us from turning aside to idols and distractions. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus that we evermore proclaim, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, we praise you and say thank you for all the blessings you have poured out upon us. We rejoice with those celebrating birthdays, anniversaries, and other joyous events. Today, we celebrate for the college graduation of Jill Armstrong and Parker Wimberly. We give thanks for the milestones that Jill and Parker have attained in college. As they begin new chapters in their lives, let them feel your love and presence. Give them your peace in all of life's situations they encounter. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Our joy comes from you. Lord Jesus, heal the sick, injured, and recovering among us today. We remember especially Kurt and his family, Beverly, Dana, Cheryl, Linda, Jeff, Dina, Luke, Debbie, Kim, Mary, Lindsay, David, Don, Scott, and those we name in our hearts. Bring your peace and comfort to Darla Westbrook and family as they mourn the death of Jim. Strengthen them with your gracious hand of healing and with your unwavering presence. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, we do not know the day or hour that you will come with great power and glory. So keep us always alert and watchful so we may welcome you with joy. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.